Welcome to the Content Strategy Experts podcast brought to you by Scriptorium. Since 1997, Scriptorium has helped companies manage, structure, organize, and distribute content in an efficient way. In this episode, we'll be continuing our discussion on quick fixes, this time focusing on solutions. How can you undo quick fixes, or better yet, avoid them in the first place? This is part two of a two-part podcast. Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Gretel Kinsey. Hi, and I'm Bill Swallow. And today we're going to be revisiting our previous discussion on quick fixes, but this time with a bit more of a positive spin. Um, Just to recap a little bit from last time, what we mean when we talk about quick fixes are when you sort of take a one-off or band-aid approach to your content strategy, you do some sort of a workaround to get content out the door, usually on a tight deadline or under a constrained budget, and then that later can cascade into lots of problems down the road if you have done a quick fix instead of planning and doing things the right way. And where I want to kind of start things off today talking about, you know, how you can undo or avoid quick fixes. If your company decided to use a quick fix in the past, what are some reasons that you might need to change that now? Well, I think one of the first things that you should be looking at is the amount of time your team is spending on overall tasks and to see exactly how much time is being spent fighting with or otherwise futzing with their content development tools. And, you know, are they going in and constantly having to reformat things? Are they constantly having to retag things? Um, Are they fighting with the tool to get it to work the way they need it to? Uh, And looking at these types of things to kind of figure out do I have a problem with quick fixes? Did we implement things correctly? Are we using the tool the way we should be using the tool? And is the tool right in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this kind of touches on the flip side of the uh, scenario that we talked about in the previous episode where we mentioned things like template abuse and tag abuse and, uh, you know, people kind of going outside those parameters that you have defined in your structure or in your template and, you know, doing these kind of one-off quick fixes for formatting. And so if you realize that you're spending a whole lot of time on those kinds of things, then suddenly that's not really a quick fix. That's a very time-consuming fix um, when you put all of those little individual quick fixes together. So if you realize that you've got a lot of writers doing that, Um, then that can lead to something like a limitation down the road if you realize, for example, hey, we really need to streamline the templates that we have or we need to introduce a new template or a new publishing output that uh, is a lot more kind of sleek and efficient than what we've already got and you've got writers all over the place you know kind of breaking the existing templates, then suddenly they're imposing a limitation unnecessarily on the tools that you have. Yep. And we've been hearing a lot over the past several years about companies going through digital transformations and being able to essentially modernize their entire content set. And I don't want to say just putting it online because that's not what digital transformation is all about. Yes, it's a component, but one of the things that a lot of these companies are struggling with is that they're looking to move to a more digital foothold you know, on their content and where they need their content to go. And they're taking a look at their entire legacy content set 
and they're finding out that they have millions of different Word files that are all using different formatting, uh, different templates, if they're using templates at all, several different content tools in play. Uh, they might have Word, they might have FrameMaker, they might have InDesign for some more higher designed outputs that they were producing. They might have both RoboHelp and Flare in the mix because there were two different divisions of the company at the time and each one decided on their own tools to use. And they have different styles and templates and even different approaches to how they develop the content in the first place. So you start seeing all of these things where you know you have all of these different documents using a wide variety of conventions and suddenly you need to be able to standardize this stuff so that you can start doing more intelligent things with your content and it makes it incredibly difficult to take that leap if everything's a mess on at the starting gate yeah of course absolutely and that is a, a massive problem i think that i've seen in probably the majority of the projects I've worked on here at Scriptorium that, you know, especially when it's factors outside of, uh, you know, maybe the company's overall control, if there has been, um, you know, something like a merger in the past and you've had lots of disparate teams that suddenly are working together and they've all had their processes, then suddenly any of those teams who have employed a kind of quick fix solution that's going to be multiplied when you've got all these different teams and all of their past histories of quick fixes working together. That's when it becomes really important to look at what all these different teams are doing and streamline their processes and come up with a content strategy that brings everything together as it should be. Um, and I think that gets into the issue not only of streamlining, but of scalability as well. Um, if, you, mm -hmm. if you need to scale your processes to a larger target audience, a larger market, um, or as you mentioned earlier, Bill, if you need to undergo a digital transformation and you need to deliver uh, you know, more intelligent content, content that is not only available online, but that is interactive or that's personalized, then if you are hindered by all of these kind of one-off quick fixes that people have taken, it can be almost impossible to scale. And that's when you're kind of looking at, you know, maybe a complete content overhaul at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I do remember one client a while ago who decided that after looking at all the numbers and taking into account all the different documents they had in play, they needed to go ahead and rebrand. They renamed their company and had a new logo, new look, new feel to all their content. They did a lot of upfront analysis and came to the conclusion that it would be a lot easier to just fix it all, you know, to basically press the pause button, fix it all, move it to, uh, in this case, they moved to Dita, but, you know, move it to a single content format mm -hmm. and uh, then apply all of their branding changes using automated formatting. It was a lot cheaper and a lot less time to do that than it would have been to go into every single document and update it by hand. Absolutely. And that, that speaks volumes. Yeah, and, and I've seen a few clients take kind of a similar, but uh, you know maybe not quite as quick approach, where if they couldn't press the pause button on everything, they at least did that one department at a time and so you know start in one place with Dita and then pull the next department in when they were ready and then so on and so forth and so you know kind of depending on 
the size of your company, your budget, your deadlines for different products and different content that comes from different departments, then that kind of approach in phases or with kind of a, a small starting point that expands outward might be a good idea to make it manageable as well. Um, but it really all depends yep. on how interconnected things are when you start, how interconnected they need to be by the end and how that kind of all interacts with your product release schedule. Mm -hmm. And another consideration there is also if you happen to be merging teams or bringing on new teams, or if your team is growing, you're bringing on new hires. Yes. It is very difficult for someone to figure out not only a new job or a new role, but also to figure out how to produce things when everything is formatted differently, when everything uses a different convention, when you have to know all these little details about how a particular deliverable comes together because nothing is consistent and everything is done ad hoc. Uh, it becomes very difficult to get a you know get new people up and running in that kind of environment. Yeah, and that gets into kind of some of the things we talked about on the previous episode with training and and how I think you know one of the things that we talked about is that a lack of training or a lack of kind of documented knowledge can lead to this problem of these you know, sort of one-off quick fixes just growing and growing. And then that perpetuates itself into this problem that anytime a new hire comes on, it is very difficult to keep them trained if it was sort of a lack of training that led to people making these mistakes before. So that's where it becomes really imperative when you bring on new teams, whether it's from a merger or whether it's just expanding and hiring, that uh, you know you get all of your content systems streamlined and aligned across the organization and provide adequate training and ongoing training to prevent those kind of ad hoc solutions that people were using before. That's great and kind of brings up another question here which is you know types of approaches that you might take to to start getting these quick fixes out of the way and start streamlining things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing that you can do is just revisit your original content strategy if you had one, which hopefully you did. Um, if you didn't, then it's time to start one. But if you had some sort of content strategy and things maybe went off the rails, uh, maybe there was some sort of major deadline pressure that prevented you from putting the solution in place that you really needed to and you used a quick fix instead, then once you kind of get over that uh, deadline, a question you can ask yourself is, okay, well, now that we're, you know, six months out or a year out from when we originally started planning and things went a different direction, which of our goals from back then are still relevant now? Um, and how are these kind of quick fix band-aid approaches that we took to get through this deadline impeding those original goals that we had? And that can kind of start to give you a path out of the weeds that you got yourself into. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you definitely want to kind of catch yourself before you start running too far in one direction and, and constantly look back and realign yourself with the goals of not only your content, but are they meeting business goals as well? Uh, was this one-off thing that you, or this screaming deadline that you um, were responding to, does it feed into those goals? And if it does, take take a step back and see, okay, we had to do all of these quick fixes to get it out the door. Why did we have to make these changes? Were the decisions that we made when we started on this strategy sound? 
uh, and do we need to revisit those as well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another thing that you can do is kind of look at the situation that you're in now and do some evaluation and come up with an estimate for the effort it's going to take to get out of the situation that you're in with these quick fixes. Um, you know, so you'll ask yourself questions like, how much editing is it going to involve? You know, are we going to have to go in and make changes to a whole lot of documents? Are we going to need to do some sort of maybe an automated process to refactor them if it's too much to do manually? Um, you know, are there solutions that can make that process a little bit more efficient and more streamlined? Because that's kind of the danger of going that quick fix route is a lot of times those fixes are introduced through manual processes. It's through, you know, a single person making a one-off judgment call here and there, and then those all add up. So it's really important to look at what people have done and where that's left your content now, and then kind of how big of a mess is it to clean up. And that can help you kind of make some of the decisions that you need to make in terms of, you know, do we need to focus more on some sort of a programmatic solution and getting an expert involved who can write a cleanup script to help with a lot of this? Or is it going to be more worth our time and money to invest in actual human uh, resources to clean this up? You know, people who are going to go in and clean up every document. So that's kind of another thing that you can ask yourself to make sure that you get out of that mess as effectively as possible. Yeah, it's also a good opportunity to take time to reassess just how widespread these uh, quick fixes have become and how necessary a lot of the documents are to fix. Uh, going forward. So if you have a case where you've been copying and pasting information all over the place, how many of these deliverables use the same content in a different way? And do you need to fix all of them? Let's say you're migrating to a different tool set. Do you need to migrate every single one of them? Or can you migrate one or a small handful of them and rebuild a lot of the other deliverables that stem from that content automatically? Another thing that it's really important to do while you're kind of evaluating the mess that you might have made with your content with these quick fixes is also look at what it's going to take to get you into the solution or solutions that you should be using. Uh, so that might be things like new content development tools. It might just be improved processes with your existing tools. It might be some combination. Um, and it's important to look at that aspect and then everything that goes with it. So for example, what kind of training is going to be involved to make sure that you keep up those new processes and you don't fall into the same traps that you fell into before with the quick fixes. Uh, there's going to be a change management aspect to that as well, which I think kind of goes hand in hand with training. Um, looking mm -hmm. at, you know, why did people go to these quick fixes, what was it about that temptation or what, what was it about the necessity that may have led them down that path and how do we put some kind of checks and balances in place and content governance in place to make sure that we don't do that again. So after all this evaluation and all this investigation, the next thing you want to do is plan, plan, plan and make sure you get things nailed down that are causing the problems that lead to quick fixes, not just resolving the quick fixes themselves. 
uh, a big part of your content strategy should be how requests come in, how uh, the timelines are built, uh, and what you're responding to and how you're responding to them in the first place. If a lot of your quick fixes are a result of someone in the organization coming to you with a screaming need, then that is something that needs to be addressed by your content strategy, even if the strategy basically is to get management involved and come to some kind of agreement on how those requests for content come in. The more you get your arms around how requests for content come in and how the content flows out, the better control you're going to have over the content creation process itself. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is an interesting thing to me because a lot of the content strategies that we end up doing are the result of these quick fixes. And we get brought in to kind of, uh, you know, solve whatever those problems were that led to those quick fixes in the first place. And so the, the kind of silver lining to having done these quick fixes and gotten into a mess is that it really helps you see where you went wrong and where you need to go right when you're going forward. You kind of get a little bit of a template or a roadmap for avoiding those mistakes once you have made them. So it's really important to take advantage of that and not to make those mistakes again. Right. If you have the ability to collect any kind of metrics on exactly how much time is spent dealing with quick fixes in your content workflows, that will go a long way also to helping you uh, formulate a solution that will stick because then you can get firm numbers to present to management to be able to enact some real change. Yeah, exactly. We talked before in the previous episode about how much these quick fixes can really rack up costs over time. And if you collect the information and have the numbers to actually prove that that's what's happening, then there's a much greater chance that somebody, you know, higher up in management or at the C-level will realize that it's a problem and do what needs to be done to stop it. Right. I mean, if a lot of your time is spent essentially on churning, uh, rather than actually producing, then that is a productivity problem. And you can believe me that managers are very keen on identifying and solving productivity problems. And you want to make sure that those problems are solved the correct way, which is mitigating the need for these one-off documents, mitigating the need for these last-minute requests, and uh, being able to then focus on creating your content in a more structured way, whether you're using structured authoring or not. So being able to use templates correctly, being able to use a proper workflow from content creation to review to publishing uh, and so forth, and be able to, to use the tools the way that you, uh, the way you ideally need to use them. Absolutely. So if you're just starting out with a new content system or new content process and you have not yet had the chance to fall into this pattern of using quick fixes, how do you avoid that? Well, first, I would take into account everything that was said before. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and make sure that you have things documented. Make sure the pain points are documented. Make sure that um, even things that you aren't currently doing incorrectly, make sure that you identify uh, what not to do in a content plan as well. All of this information really need, does need to be funneled up to the managers or executives who are essentially 
owning uh, this entire content development process. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really important to kind of help people at that level who are not creating content and are not kind of in the weeds of it, but they are the ones controlling your budget. They need to understand just how many problems these quick fixes can cause, you know, how much cost it incurs over time, how many messes it creates that have to be cleaned up later. And they need to know that information so that they can kind of weigh it against things like your deadlines and your schedules, because, um, you know, it's all too tempting, I think, even for people at that management or executive level, since they aren't the content creators, they can be easily swayed into saying, yeah, go ahead and do whatever needs to be done to get it out the door. But if you've made them understand that taking that approach is going to get you into a mess later, then they might be more likely to say, no, let's actually make sure we do this the right way. And if that means that I need to, uh, you know, shift somebody's responsibilities for a little while so that you've got more resources for your content for this deadline, or that means if I need to bring in someone to help with training and get you up to speed to do things the right way, then that's going to be worth putting those things in place. So it's just really important to make sure that the the people who are in charge of the budget truly understand how it's being spent so that they can help everybody else avoid those quick fix approaches. Yep. And if they're in charge of the budget, chances are they're also in charge of a lot of the workflow within the higher level of the organization. So it might be that a lot of these screaming needs that come in at the last minute that are creating some of these ad hoc uh, practices in your content development process, it might be that a lot of these deliverables were known high up at a very early stage, but for whatever reason, the information did not get down to the content development teams until someone from either sales or from tech support or someone else came running down saying, hey, we need this thing tomorrow. Can you stop what you're doing and, and work on it. This is a high priority item. So it's to your advantage to make sure that you have management informed of not only where the quick fixes are happening and the problems that they're causing, but also to discuss a lot of the workflow around them uh, to kind of clear the, essentially be a linebacker and clear the path for you so you can hit the goal uh, when you need to hit it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another thing that you can do to avoid these quick fixes, and we've touched on this a lot in this episode and the previous one, but provide adequate training. Uh, don't let your writers, your reviewers, anybody involved in content development to get behind because that ends up breeding resentment. And you know, if you are introducing some sort of very different and very new content development process to your team, there is going to be a learning curve and there's definitely a chance that people will be resistant to that learning curve, uh, that they will, you know, say, why does my working life suddenly have to change so much and have to be so stressful? So support them through that learning curve, you know, make sure that they have the resources they need that they don't just have kind of a one and done training session, but that they've got somebody they can continue to ask questions to, whether it's uh, a consultant, whether it's a dedicated resource in your organization, whether it is someone, um, you know, that works for the software vendor that makes your content tools. They need to have that open channel of communication where they can say, you know, I've been trained on this, but maybe I still don't quite understand this one aspect or, you know, I've been through initial training, but I think I need a little bit more robust training on this 
particular aspect of what I'm doing and make sure that they don't kind of fall through the cracks because that's what's going to lead them to say, I don't know how to do this, but I have to do this thing to get the document out the door. So I'm just going to use a quick fix. Yep. And it's really important to make sure that this training is also targeted toward the type of work they'll be doing and uses content that they'll be developing. A lot of times we see teams that say, oh yeah, we were we were trained on using this particular tool. Uh, and it turns out they've just gone through generic tool training. Uh, and you know, as we all know, you can use, for example, Microsoft Word to produce anything. You know, you can use yes. it to produce a, a letter to, you know, a full-blown manual and everything in between. It doesn't necessarily help you if you're only providing tool-level training. You have to be able to provide contextual content-related training. So something that is tailored to the exact type of content that they're going to be developing, perhaps even using their existing content in the training class so that they know exactly how they should be writing and when and where things should be applied a certain way. Uh, which styles do you use in which instances? How do you structure a document? Uh, which tags do you use in which cases? Uh, how does the publishing workflow work? Why don't we select this one particular button or you know select this one particular option when we're going to print something out or to, you know, convert it to HTML. It's it's really important to have that targeted training. So it's it's not just about the tool, but it's actually relevant to the work they'll be doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important to kind of along that same road to think about, um, you know, are there going to eventually be content features or uh, you know aspects of content development that you won't use until later? And so it's important to think about training uh, at different points in the kind of content development journey that your writers are going through. And so one example I can think of is that um, one of the clients I worked with did kind of basic authoring training when they first made their move to Dita and they had not introduced any reusable content yet. They were still doing a lot of writing. Um, they had not fully written out their documentation, but then as they went along and as they wrote that documentation, they had more and more content that they needed to reuse. And so they realized they needed additional training on Dita reuse mechanisms, you know, a couple of years down the road. Um, they had kind of you know, we had gone through basics of things like what is a conref, uh, you know, what is a key, how do you set up reuse, but it's a very different ball game to kind of go through that generically and kind of just touch on the highlights of it at an early stage where there's no context for it than it is to talk about down the road, okay, we have these pieces of content that we need to reuse in this way, how do we do it? And that's why it's really important that you make your training ongoing and you know open to addressing new needs that pop up. And that right there really speaks to how you roll out a content strategy or how you approach developing content with a content strategy in place. Uh, you want to have things staged uh, because you don't want to try doing everything at once out of the gate because you're going to get things wrong. You're going to implement things incorrectly. You're going to discover that what sounded like a good idea at the time doesn't really work well. Um, so you're going to have to refactor a lot as you're going along and it really helps to have things kind of buttoned up and streamlined so you can make these shifts as you hit these different milestones in your content strategy implementation to be able to say, okay, we tried X, Y, and Z. 
Um, X and Y worked great. Z was a catastrophic failure. We can't allow that to happen again. Let's stop, reassess, and uh, let's change things. And if your documents uh, and your workflows are void of any ad hoc uh, band-aid approaches, then it's a lot easier to make that shift. You know, if the content needs to be refactored, chances are you could probably do it programmatically at that point. If it turns out a particular tool uh, isn't working well, then it's probably going to be a lot easier to up and move your content to a different tool or to implement a new tool in the tool chain that you have for publishing uh, if everything is done consistently up to that tool's point. The more you can get your arms around uh, all of the uh, pieces that go into your content creation and address each piece systematically in the process of implementing your content strategy, the easier it's going to be to kind of make these pivot points when you need to, when you find that a piece of the strategy just isn't working. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I think it's really important when you are developing that strategy to, you know, as you said, pace it out, have it in phases, have it in stages, and think about your short-term versus your long-term goals and realize that those long-term goals might change over time and, and almost certainly will change over time. I mean, you may have, you know, kind of your overarching business goal stay the same, which is, you know, bring in more revenue, uh, deliver content more quickly and uh, better quality content to your customers. But the way you actually achieve that will almost certainly shift over time. Um, and that's because a lot of times, you know, there are unexpected things that happen, you know, emergencies, challenges, things that come up that you were not planning for. And so that's why building in that flexibility into your strategy, you know, saying, here's what we want to do in the short term, here's what we want to do in the long term, the road to get there, um, you know, we'll probably take these steps, but it needs to be flexible because you don't know what kinds of things might come in and disrupt all of the plans that you had. Mm -hmm. And let's be honest, you're going to have a need that is going to go outside of your established process. It's it's almost a given uh, that something's going to come in. It's going to be a high priority need in a very short period of time, and you're just going to need to get it done. At that point, you just you need to pivot. Don't abandon your strategy, but take that one piece out and plan to take it out of that stage and have a plan to put it back into whatever content workflow you have in place. So don't just introduce ad hoc formatting and just assume that it's going to be you know a one-off need, but actually plan for it to be an ad hoc process to get something out the door, and then there is a plan for bringing it into the fold. Whether it's six months out, the, you know, out from delivery, whether it's two years out from delivery, or whether it's tomorrow, uh, depending on how big of a, 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 a need this is. Uh, but have that plan to essentially um, take a detour around the strategy while all the other content continues to follow the correct workflow. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that kind of, you know, to tie everything together, we, we've made this point with all of our other ones, but it's really important to, you know, plan for those unexpected things, but also kind of still keep all of your goals and your content lifecycle in mind as you execute the strategy step by step. And that's, again, why it's so important to take this kind of well-paced or well-phased approach start maybe really small, maybe start with a proof of concept, a pilot project, something that's low stakes, 
to prove that what you are planning to do actually works and then kind of expand outward from there. That's going to kind of help you build in a lot more room for things to change and a lot more adaptability to those changes when they come up. If you kind of keep things well paced instead of trying to do a whole bunch of things at once. And I think that that, you know, that that aspect of biting off more than you can chew and trying to just go all the way into a new strategy with all of your content all at once can actually lead to more of those quick fixes because you may get in the middle of, you know, transferring all of your content over from one system to another or trying to kind of scale way too quickly and realizing that you can't do it on the the deadlines that you have set and then just falling right back into that trap of quick fixes. So I think, you know, kind of keeping that entire uh, you know, cycle of your content in mind and keeping that entire path of your strategy in mind and really pacing it well, taking each step at a time is a good way to not only avoid needing a quick fix, but if something unexpected does come up and you do have to have a quick fix, it does make it easier to address that and not let it get out of hand and bring it back into the fold of your content strategy without too many interruptions. Yep. Slow and steady wins the race. Absolutely. Well, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap things up here. So thank you so much, Bill. Thank you. And thank you for listening to the Content Strategy Experts podcast brought to you by Scriptorium. For more information, visit scriptorium.com or check the show notes for relevant links. 